0: Please open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Before we get started this morning, let's bow for a word of prayer, would you? Oh, Father, a lot going on here uh, because you have done so much in us. Thank you. Thank you for honoring us with your presence here today. You promised that wherever two or more were gathered, uh, you'd be there. And however you do this, Uh, We know that you are also with the Salvation Army Church. Uh, They're a unique group of people who have focused all that they do around the reality of spiritual warfare in this world. Um, And we join them. We'd like to expand our understanding of that, not to be fearful of it, but to be sober and ready to to fight with your strength and your power. So please bless them in their efforts. Uh, Unite our hearts together as we... Uh, arm ourselves to fight against the enemy of enemies, Satan. And we ask this morning where he might try to interrupt and try to disrupt this service, I ask in Jesus' name that you would be Lord. And uh, together we as a family resist him and ask you to to make him flee. Uh, Thank you so much for the power that comes in the Holy Spirit that we could do that. And we ask us humbly in Jesus' name. And everyone said... In the kindergarten class at Sunday school, the Bible class teacher was teaching how God created everything, including human beings. And five year old Brandon seemed especially tuned in when the teacher told him how Eve was created that God took out one of Adam's ribs and then he formed her from that rib. Well, later in the week, his mother noticed him lying down and heard him moaning like he was ill. And she said, Brandon, what's the matter? And he held his side and said, I have a pain in my side. I think I'm having a wife. (laughs) Half of you didn't think that was funny. Now, what I hope you hear in that introduction is this, how quick we are when we're in pain to all of a sudden become prophets and start predicting the future. Most of the time, I think, if we're honest, we're about as accurate at doing that as Brandon We're in a series of lessons that I've been calling greater than, and each week we have asked the question, is God sufficient for the largest challenges of our lives? Two weeks ago, we talked about God being greater than our past. Last week, we talked about God being greater than our present, and many of you have sent me emails and found me after services and said that that was a message I needed to hear, Well, if there was anything in any of those messages that you did hear that helped your life, it was God who did that through me. There's a lot of things that we wish were in our future. And so we hope this week that God is greater than that future. I think a lot of times we'd like to order our future kind of like we do food. For starters, Lord, we'd love to have an appetizer of incredible joy. For the main course, could we have a helping, a huge helping of good health? For the sides, could we have people who deeply care for us? And then for the other side, could we possibly have all the money we need to take care of our needs and maybe just a little bit for our wants? And for dessert, could we have a long life that ends with a quick and painless death at just about 85? Now, if you're 85, you're thinking 95, all right, Jim? But doesn't that pretty much describe how we'd like to see our, at least in a big general way, our future unfold? What kind of future do you have in mind for you and your family? It is amazing to me how much money Americans spend on trying to get an idea about what's going to happen in that future. So we hire stock market analysts to know what's going to go on there. We, we, we seek prognosticators to tell us what our favorite team's odds, odds are about getting into the national championship or winning the Super Bowl. We wonder what the future holds for our candidate that we want to see elected in 2020. Some are gonna have palms read, some will look to tarot card readings, some will use Ouija boards, some will perform religious acts. All to try to influence and manufacture the future they desire. We spend a great deal of time and money on hoping to arrange for a happy and meaningful future. Even churches get in on the action. I read about a church this week who advertised on its sign out front, Monday, Alcoholics Anonymous meets. Tuesday, abused spouses. Wednesday, recovering from eating disorders. Thursday, saying no to drugs. Friday, teen suicide watch. And Sunday's message, America's joyous future. Solomon said this, in a group of writings that we know as ecclesiastes people often have many troubles and they do not know what the future holds and no one can tell them what's going to happen he's right we don't know what tomorrow brings and we find out pretty quickly in life that tomorrow does not recognize you or me as its master. And yet knowing that God through his word still encourages us. I want you to, to face tomorrow with anticipation. I want you to face tomorrow with joy. I, I don't want you to, to look at it and look into it with resignation and fear. Because our God is greater than our future. Amen. And if you believe that then you're probably a soul water. And if you don't believe that you're most likely a what if Now, what-ifers are those folks who are full of anxiety about the future, saying, but what if this happens, and and, and what if that happens, and and what if this never happens? And so waters, in short, are full of anticipation, not knowing what the future is going to hold, but knowing the one who holds us, and that is good. And so... Whatever happens, we believe God's going to work good for not only him, but also for us. But all of it for his glory. So, which camp do you fit in? Now, you're a what if if worry about the future dominates your life. You're a soul water if hope for the future dominates your life. But regardless of the camp that you fall into, I want you to know this Jesus was a sharp critic of those who worry. He's very clear he does not want us what ifing our way through life. Two reasons. Number one, he thought worry was irreligious. Pagans, he says, are those who have no relationship with God, they worry about everything. And so the pagans try to make an idol of certainty. They want deities they control who will give them certainty for their future rather than just trusting that the God that they serve is good and will lead them into the best future. So worry is irreligious, but also Jesus says this, worry is irrational because it doesn't do a thing for your tomorrow. It just ruins today. Matthew Matthew 6 and verse 27 says, Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And we know the answer is no. See, the problem with worry is that all of my worry about tomorrow is experienced right now. My mind and my emotions and my body doesn't know the difference between something actually lived out in my imagination or something lived out in my presence. Some of you may be old enough to remember the first Gulf War crisis. Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait and the allied nations And the United Nations both told him to leave. He said, you try and make me and I will shoot scud missiles over into Israel. Now at that time it was believed he had chemical and biological weapons. And so Israel began passing out gas masks to everyone. And began to teach the populace how to handle chemical warfare if it actually happened. And there was huge stress to say the least in the nation. Well, Saddam Hussein actually did send scud missiles. As a matter of fact, he sent 17 of them. And there were some people who lost their lives. But when it was over, here's what the medical community learned about missiles and how they affected the people. Now, while the missiles killed a few people, many more people died before the first missile ever landed from heart attacks and strokes. It's believed that the threat of missiles killed people, yes, but the missiles themselves really weren't the biggest culprit, stress and worry and anxiety was. And Jesus says that's all worry is good for. It has no impact whatsoever on tomorrow for good. No, it only robs you of the joy of today. And worry steals from those around you. And here's why I say that, because if you're a worrier, you're probably not a very good neighbor. Worry will turn someone who shares what they have into someone who hoards what they have. At least that's what Jesus says. He tells a story about a rich man who had a good year in business. So much so that he couldn't put all of his crops in the barns. Now, there were hungry people all around him. But instead of sharing his excess with the needy, he thought, I'm going to store up what I have for the future. And so he built bigger barns. And then he unexpectedly died. And God called him a fool. Now, I know there's a lot of applications about that story, but would you hear Jesus' application he gives the very next verse, Luke twelve twenty-two. Jesus says to his disciples, Therefore, in line of all that I've just told you about a rich man who stores and hoards rather than shares, I tell you this, don't worry about your life and what you'll eat. Or about your body and what you'll wear. He goes on to say, the birds and the flowers do a better job with that than all of you humans. But still don't worry. You don't have to. Church, Jesus isn't thrilled at all when we act like a bunch of what-ifers. He's just not. And if you're a what ifer you most likely are also not just a worrier, but you're a wonderer. Here's what I mean by that. In Numbers chapter 13 and chapter 14, the children of God have been delivered by miracles and mighty works out of Egypt, through the Red Sea, and up to the borders of Canaan. And they send in 12 spies from each tribe to look at this brand new land and they come back with a unanimous report. This is a great land, so much so that any nation could have a glorious future in there. And two of the spies speak up and say, so... With God as our strength, let's go. Because God is, if he's for us, who could be against us? And ten of the spies say, hold your camels. Not so fast. Yes, it is an amazing nation. Lots of great things there. But I'm telling you, if we go in there, it's not a glorious future for us, it's a ruinous future. Because we saw giants in there. And they're not packing their bags just because we showed up on their doorstep. Which group are the white ifers? And which group are the soul waters? Here was a white ifers problem. They saw the giants in the future as greater than the God who had promised them a blessed future. And how do we remember that generation? They are the generation that wandered around in circles and waited for the next funeral to happen. They're the generation that wandered around in circles, and they waited for the next funeral to happen. Question, do you know any churches like that? you know any Christians like that? They're afraid to tackle the giants threatening the future? Well, I can tell you this, they may be waiting, but they're waiting their way into irrelevance. One of my fun challenges of living in the mountains of Ruedosa was to help teach my kids to ski. Snow ski, that is. If you've been snow skiing, to do it well, you've got to overcome this almost natural desire to lean back in the mountain into where you've been to stay safe. But to enjoy skiing and to get where you want to go, you've got to actually lean out over those skis. It's a little frightening. But oh my goodness. When you have someone who, who teaches you how to do that and who leads you through that experience... It is amazing. God's asking us to, as a church, not just lay back on what we've done in the past and try to be safe. What God's saying is there is so much more. Let's get at it. Let's get at it. I don't want to be the church that just went around in circles and waited for another funeral to happen. You? Scripture's calling us to lean out. The scripture's calling us to answer to a greater than God, the greater than any failure possible or any mistake possible because our hearts are entrusting. He will lead us where He wants us to go. In Psalms chapter 112, David says, here's where happiness is. Happy are those who fear the Lord. Nothing else. Fear the Lord above all else. Corey Ten Boom puts it this way. Never... Be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. It's all right. How do you overcome this worry? How do you overcome this anxiousness? How do I overcome, Jimmy, this fear of failure? Well, maybe you'll remember it this way. Here's what you got to do you got to go back to the future. You got to go back to the future. And what do I mean by that? Is simply this: what we know about God in His past can deeply impact what we could know about a future, what we might experience in a future. I think that was Jesus's primary truth that He was trying to point all of His disciples to him when He said, "Look, look, 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 look! Just, just look around at birds, and look around at, at, at the lilies, and and look up at the sky. Come on, guys! The grizzlies as well as the galaxies." Prove. They shout. They declare. God's been working. And so do the genetic strands and so do the white sands. God's been working. He does it every single day. He's done it for centuries, and He'll do it for you now. Look back, will you, at all the ways that He's taken care of you. And again, birds and flowers seem to do this much better than us. But He says, look anyways. Look back and see what all He's done... All of you, just to get you to the day. How has he worked? How has he moved? How has he just wrapped his arms around you and led you through some of the most disastrous, crazy, upside down times? If he's done that, what will he do in your future? In Romans chapter 8 and verse 32, Paul talks about how important it is for us to look back if we're going to head into a future that's got God written all over it. In Romans 8, 32, here's what he says. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for all of us, will he not also give us everything? Now, we looked at this last week. I don't want to belabor this point too much, but wow, the most precious thing in God's world, his son. He was willing to give him up for your future. What do you think it is that he wouldn't give you, that wouldn't be a blessing in your life? both for him and for you. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also give us graciously all things? It's one of the most hinging scriptures in all of the Bible about your future. Peter's going to say it this way. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. Because Peter believed that focusing on what happened at a tomb somehow overcomes the what if every time. Because when we do focus on an empty tomb, when we do focus on a God who loved us, who would allow His Son to die for us, hopelessness leaves the room when the risen Christ steps in. Back in the 60s and 70s, some of the most popular praise songs were written by a husband and wife team, Bill and Gloria Gaither. You've sung one of their favorites in the past. I don't think probably ever in any church I've been at we sang it very well because really it was written uh, instrumentally. But we've sung it because he lives. It was written in 1969. They had two beautiful little girls, and they weren't expecting to get pregnant, weren't really desiring or planning to get pregnant, but Gloria found herself pregnant with a little boy. Many of you remember drugs-dominated our country at that time in a way they never had before. Vietnam and political unrest hung like a dark cloud over all of America. And the God is Dead movement was just getting entrenched, just starting to catch. And Bill and Gloria Gaither remembered thinking, this isn't a good time to bring a child into the world. And then they reflected on how inconsistent that fear was with what their theology was. The more they reflected, the more they repented. And then they wrote this song. All of it explaining, I think, what God hopes we hear when we talk about back to the future. Here's the second verse. How sweet it is to hold a newborn baby and feel the joy and pride he gives. But better still, the calm assurance that this child can face uncertain days. Because he lives. Then the chorus. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know the one who holds the future. Life is worth living. Just because he lives. And the church said? Great song, great truth that the Spirit poured through that couple so that we might sing it and be blessed by it. So let me encourage you, go back to the future. Go back to the future. Paul does in 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 14. He says, for since we believe that Christ died and then came back to life, that's going back, then, the future, we can believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring him with all the Christians who have died with him. So we do know where the future's headed. We don't know the specific details, but God has chosen to reveal to us by his grace and mercy where that future is headed. It's headed to the great revealing of the glory of Jesus Christ and the universal acknowledgement he is king of kings and lord of lords. That's where it's headed. I think that's the main point of the book of Revelation. I know it's a complicated book. And I know that there are many deep interpretations of it, but Randy Harris Professor at Abilene Christian University he Simplified it for this ragamuffin In a way that I'll never forget The book of Revelation he says Has three points One Jesus wins Two You must choose a team Three Don't be stupid I Love that Jesus wins is point number one of the book of Revelation Number two You've got to choose a team Number three don't be stupid. I didn't think he'd ever use that S word in the church. Peter says it this way in 1 Peter 1 and verse 13. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Brother, you don't have to choose to be a what You can choose rather to be on the team of the soul waters and you're saying, well, what in the world is so water? So glad you asked. It comes from Paul in a letter that he wrote to a group of Christians like us in the town of Philippi. He's in an unjust imprisonment when he writes this letter to them. He has no idea about how it's going to turn out. Religious teachers have even moved into this church plan of his, and they are slandering him. And he can't do anything about it. He knows he faces an unknown future, but he writes this. What does it matter? So what? Five words in English, two words in Greek. As a matter of fact, just five letters in Greek. T gar. That's Greek for so what. And this is exactly what he says. But what does it matter? So what? gar. The most important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this I will continue to rejoice for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage so that now and always that Christ will be exalted in my body whether by life or by death for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Say those last words with me. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. You, hadn't, you didn't catch up, so here we go one more time. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If you mean that, you're a soul water. What ifers can mouth it. Only so waters can mean it. The first thing about a soul water is this: they live courageously. Paul says two things here. I expect a God in my future. Number one, I will have sufficient courage, therefore. I will enter the future with boldness. And number two, he says, I will experience deliverance. I love the surety in that. Now, the encouragement me is because Paul has no idea how this imprisonment is going to turn out. Not a clue. Like you have no idea how your, your son or daughter is going to ever leave your house. You have no idea how you're ever going to have a child. You have no idea about how you're ever going to actually get a job after you've been turned down so many times. You have no idea how you're going to survive the cancer. Paul knows how that feels. And yet he believed that God reigns over everything in his life that would try to pull him under, and he's hoping you will too. He trusts that any circumstance just might become a stage on which God's glory can be displayed. So why worry? So what? He says, I'm going to trust no matter what the outcome of any circumstance in my life is. I'm not going to be fearful. I'm not going to be anxious because God is working in me and through me for what he wants and he's good. So that means that's going to be good. If I live... I'm going to exalt Jesus, Paul says. And if I die, I'm going to exalt Jesus. They can't do anything to me that will keep me from exalting Jesus in my life. Because God's with me. I can say, so what? Bring it on. He would say to the church here at Kerrville, what he said to the church in Corinth, since we have such a hope, You can be very bold. You can. This can be the boldest church in the county if we believe that hope. (laughs) In the late 1970s, Steven Spielberg, Spielberg, I told you I needed a vacation. In the late 1970s, Steven Spielberg produced a movie called Jaws. If you saw it in its original version, you were getting old. It related the story of a monster shark that made a meal of swimmers up and down the New England coast. And one of the more famous scenes involved this crusty old boat captain and a local sheriff and a deckhand that set off on the fishing boat in search of the shark. Nobody had seen the shark, including these three men. But when they finally saw this monstrous great white, they nearly fell over in fright. And a phrase... It stands out in almost all cinematography was spoken. We're going to have to get a bigger boat. Friend, if you're afraid, and if you're living in constant anxiety, you know what you need? A bigger boat. Imagine these three guys, if they'd been riding in a larger vessel, Suppose they were standing on the deck of the Sea Wise Giant. It's the largest ship to ever be created in the history of the world. Four football fields long, 564,000 tons. And I wonder if these three men had been standing on that deck of the Sea Wise and looked down in the water and saw jaws, what their response would have been. They probably would have said, that's a big shark. But I don't think they would have been afraid. Because they were in a vessel that was bigger and stronger than that shark. Church, you are in a vessel that is bigger and stronger than that shark. Because you were aboard the SS Jesus Christ. And he is strong. And more than he's strong, he cares. And I realize in your life there are sharks swimming all in the waters. Stock market reports seek to gouge and devour, so do lab reports, so do headlines, and they can be ferocious. But God's asking us to remember we are on a bigger vessel. and we can rejoice because of that. You can take note of the shark, sure, as long as your focus is on the Christ, over the crisis. That's the second mark of a sow water. They choose to praise God consistently. Sow waters believe that nothing in their future can overcome God's worthiness in the present. Nothing. Regardless of what the stock market does, regardless of what Iran does, regardless of what the lab report says, I will choose to find joy, Paul says. I'll say it again. I choose to find joy. And I'm encouraging you to. In the Lord, the vessel that's huge, Safe, now there's sharks everywhere in the water. But strong and able to deliver you through anything. That rejoicing is possible. Not if you're a what-ifer, but if you're a so water, and Paul was, and so he can write this: rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. I'm telling you, the Lord's near. Don't be anxious about anything. No matter what the sharks are, but in everything, by prayer and with petition, with thanksgiving, you present your request to God, and the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ. You need a bigger boat. And I'm telling you that our God is greater than all other boats in this world. And if you don't try to sail with Him, if you don't, you will sail with another boat. And another captain. I can't make you that promise with any other other than Jehovah. This week, let me be a prophet for a little bit. When you go to work or turn on the TV or read the news, the world is going to be there to invite you to a seat at their table. It will be a buffet of cynicism and despair and hopelessness. And what I hope every single one of you will say is no, thank you. I'm riding a bigger boat with a better captain. Because my God's greater. You say, well, Jimmy, how do you know if you're a what if -er or a soul water Can you nutshell it down for me? Well, here we go. Complete this sentence. Go ahead and put it up, guys. For me... To live is Is it getting married? Is it my house selling? Is it my portfolio growing or my weight shrinking? Is for me to live being selected cheerleader or having kids or having them finally leave? Is it a better job? Is it comfortable retirement? Any of those things. If, if that's how you fill in the blank honestly, you're a what if But if you fill it with Christ and mean it, you can be a soul water. I don't know which team you're on, but I'm inviting you to choose wisely and to not be stupid. Father in heaven, we come to you this morning we realize we don't even have the power to choose well. Only you, because of what you've done in the past, can lead us into an amazing future. Only you, because of what happened in the cross and that empty tomb, only you, making possible in us the Holy Spirit, can enable us to step into a future rejoicing and having full hope that what you're doing is for good. And so we come to you this morning just just humbly saying, God, it's not within us. So would you come reign in us and over us? Would you truly be a church of Christ here at 1900? Please. We're inviting you to do that. Father, if someone's not done that and ever put you on in baptism, claiming you as their Lord and Savior, would you just nudge them down the aisle today to start? If there's a brother or sister who desperately needs one of us to wrap our arms around them because they're having trouble believing that you're greater than their past or greater than their present or even this ominous future that they're facing, would you help us, Father, to help lift them up on this bigger boat, Jesus Christ. Father, we're going to give you praise right now because you are the one who's worthy of being the greater than in our lives. Please receive it with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, let's stand, let's praise Him.